Forum Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North, prisoners of the globe. Welcome to Forum B. Good people, imagine that you have just resigned from a job you hate and intend to embark upon a much-needed vacation. Then, when the very next day you wake up in your home and look out the window, you shockingly see a completely different environment and scenery that you've never seen before. In fact, although the inside appears to be your home, you're obviously somewhere completely different, that you have no clue where it is, or even when or how you got there. Sounds like a magnificent plot for a movie, no? Well, now, listen to this. Where am I? In the village. What do you want? Information. Whose side are you on? That would be telling. We want information. 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 You won't get it. By hook or by crook, we will. Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. (laughs) And that, my friends, is the intro to the cult classic TV series called The Prisoner, which begins exactly as I described. I know several of you are already familiar with it, and you're in for a treat today. But alas, many of you are clueless, and that is equal to not knowing about Shakespeare in literature or Mozart in music. It's high time to remedy such an embarrassing gap in your curriculum, especially today when this series is exposing everything going on in our contemporary world and is therefore not exactly promoted by the mainstream establishment entertainment media anymore, so you will be forgiven to have missed it, especially if you are younger than 40. Good thing you came to the forum, but before class is in session, I will introduce today's guest, who will incentivize you to explore this masterpiece, which isn't just an amusement leisure product. Indeed, it's an educating experience a subversive counterculture creation, a clairvoyant warning from our past, or as the mastermind behind it defined it, an existential allegory. Look, I promise that even if you are unfamiliar with the Prisoner series, listening to our show today will still be interesting. In fact, it will be motivating and enticing for you to get off your butt and check it out. And we are carefully avoiding spoilers. So, our psychopomp for this seance is the Brit Rick Davy. He is a writer and researcher, originally from London, and for the past 25 years has been working as a researcher in the healthcare industry. 
Rick first saw the prisoner during a repeat run in the early 80s, age 10, and was, as we all become, immediately fascinated by this series, as well as its star and creator Patrick McGohan, and the mysterious village of Port Marion, where the series was filmed. He has spent the last 30 years researching the series and has written the book The Prisoner, The Essential Guide, and the 2017 official 50th anniversary Blu-ray and DVD text commentaries for every episode. Rick Davy has also contributed to countless other publications, including Playboys, Spies and Private Eyes, inspired by ITC and the first two volumes of It Means What It Says, Trying to Understand the Prisoner, and Titans, The Prisoner, the original art edition, among others, and acted as consultant to both the 40th and 50th anniversary DVD and Blu-ray releases for the series. Davy now runs the world's largest and most popular website devoted to the series, called the Unmutual website, as well as publisher of Coit Media Limited, who has published many titles related to the series, and the online prisoner e-store The Village Shop. He is also host of the Elstree Studios reunion events for The Prisoner and other ITC series. Often found guesting on various cult TV podcasts to talk about this and other cult series, he also acted as consultant on the 2017 documentary In My Mind. Rick now lives in Wales with his wife, three children and various animals and has keen interests in cult TV, of course. Football, which is referred to as soccer in the evil empire. Travel and Neolithic monuments within the UK. I suppose I should have him back for the latter, as that sounds like a great show in and by itself. But for now, lean back, put on your anonymous mask, and pay attention. Welcome to the forum, Rick. Hello, great to speak to you, Al. Great to have you on, man. I've been wanting to have this show, this topic, ever since I begun five, six years ago. And uh, I don't ride the same day I saddle, obviously. So, <laughs> but here we are, <laughs> finally. Thanks to a listener. I forgot his name. Let's give him a shout out. Do you remember who connected us? Yeah. Could it be Cy Payne at all from uh, who makes Pigeon Guard Games models? Could be, could be. I forgot. But thank you, whoever you are. Yeah. And like we were talking about before uh, we started here, you're a virgin to our channel. You haven't heard of shows yet. I haven't. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to, however. You have become infamous on the internet, shall we say. And uh, I'm looking forward... <laughs> yeah, I'm, you heard about us. I'm looking forward to listening, but I uh, know this is my first time. You see, the reason I, I say that is that we... Uh, and I guess for the first time, many listeners will be enlightened now about something they wondered about. Okay. Every show we have is uh, ending with me, the host, saying, be seeing you. <laughs> and in addition, after the outro, they hear a voice saying, who is number one? <laughs> <laughs> that voice is a sample of Patrick, what's his last name? Mac. McGowan. McGowan. There you go. 
So uh, we have played uh, with uh, prisoner references all through our shows. Uh, from symbols and icons to stuff like what I was mentioning. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense, doesn't it, Rick? Because the prisoner isn't that referenced throughout popular culture and media. It's not, especially not as much as it probably used to be. There was a time in the kind of 1980s, 1990s, when it was referenced more than it is now. It became fashionable again. It started being shown repeats and that was when i first saw the series yeah. and shows like babylon 5 lost kind of started to uh, uh to, to make reference to it and so on uh, but no it's largely unknown these days because it's been so long since it's really had a, a proper screening anywhere in europe oh. um, i think it gets shown on cable channels occasionally but uh, no it's a show that not a lot of people know about especially if they're under the age of, of 40 for example yeah the, the show is over 50 years old now and uh, folks the reason uh, we usually we do books but this series probably one of the most underestimated or underrated series of all times is like a book it is full of layers like we talked about before we begun i'm i'm going to try to get on a professor who we're going to discuss some of the spiritual layers of it but so much to to choose between and uh, yeah I, I have to be honest and say it is my favorite series of all times and people who have watched it will immediately understand why people who hasn't watched it thinks this is just like some kind of fan tribute but no 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 i wouldn't bother I, i'm a fan of a lot of stuff i wouldn't bother to have a show about it i'm having a show about this because number one it is probably objectively speaking the best uh, that's ever been been aired uh, among the best number two it is so deep with so many levels yes uh, number three it's a jolly good uh, story i mean just for the dramaturgy and and the normal stuff but number four probably most important it's never been more relevant than today <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely uh, quite correct. It foresaw so much of the, of the modern world. But yet, as you say, it's more than 50 years old, more than it's 55 years since uh, production started on the series. And it, uh, yes, there are some things that date it, costumes, cars. You could say that about anything which comes from the 1960s. But it is absolutely relevant to today's culture, to today's governments to the, the world in which we find ourselves in. It, it, it was a huge precursor to what we have today, foresaw so much of what we have today in terms of, you know, state control, um, you know, uh, uh, constant surveillance, uh, internment, even down to things like credit cards, cordless phones. Psychology. Um, CCTV, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, psychological warfare. All those things were predicted uh, by this show from 1966. And you're quite right. It can be watched on many different levels. You can watch it as escapist television. You can watch it as a straightforward James Bond yeah. spy yeah. drama about a man who's imprisoned. If you want to watch it on that level, you can. And it's still, as you said, a great story, hugely entertaining. But if you want to watch it on a different level, it can literally mean anything that you want it to mean. Yeah, yes. You can even take acid or, or magic mushrooms and watch it. I'm thinking especially, um, um, of course, I'm referring to some of the last episodes. 
<laughs> those I can do. You know what? I, I almost wouldn't recommend doing that to watch those episodes. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it because I think your brain would literally explode <laughs> at the thought that, that, that the genius of it is. Yeah. Is that Patrick McGoon wasn't on drugs when he when when he made it? He drank a little bit, but he wasn't he wasn't drunk all the time. Okay. And that's what makes it so astonishing. Mm. So many things that came from that era were kind of drug induced, or were deliberately just made to be weird. But this wasn't deliberately made to be weird. It was just deliberately made to be brilliant. Yeah. And yeah. because the people that were making it were were so intelligent and so clever, they put so many layers into it. Mm. That you couldn't you couldn't replicate that now. That's why it's such a great series that stands the test of time, because uh, you know my good friend uh, Roger Goodman uh, once said that it threw down a gauntlet of follow that, and no one ever has because it's impossible to do. They did try and remake it. There was a remake, of course, in two thousand and nine, which I'm sure you would agree was was awful. It was horrible. But it was dreadful, and the reason it was awful is that they deliberately tried tried too hard to do something enigmatic. You can only be enigmatic and naturally. You can't force yourself to be that way. Yeah. And that's why The Prisoner is, is such a, a wonderful series. All the pieces came together at that one time. You couldn't replicate that. You can't replicate genius. You can't pretend to be um, somebody else in that way. No, but more than that, I think they made, they made some grave sins. First of all, they changed the story brutally. Uh, and then they resorted to one of the worst things in uh, place, and that is they resorted to it's all a dream yeah. kind of buyout. Yeah, that's not what the, what the prisoner is. The prisoner is, no. as you said, it's relevant to today because the prisoner is reality. Mm. It's just it's just shown in a fantastical, almost science fiction way with the with some futuristic sets and some futuristic ideas. But essentially, what we're watching when we watch seventeen episodes of the prisoner there is only 17 episodes, is we are watching the world around us condensed into one village. There is a line in the village, the whole world is the village. And the whole world is the village. When you watch The Prisoner and you see a man being incarcerated in this world where he is controlled, where he is watched, where he has no control over really what he's doing, everything is, is harnessed by someone else, that's the world that we live in today. And that was brilliantly portrayed by Patrick McGoon when he created the series and when he made the series. A lot of people don't understand it, but you don't have to understand it because you can watch it as a straightforward spy thriller series if you want to. Yeah. If you want to go deeper and watch it on a different level, you can. When people say to me, what's The Prisoner about? My answer is often, it's about whatever you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. I usually say it's about everything. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely perfect. And that's exactly right because it is. It is about, as I said, the whole world around us represented by one one man's struggle um, against a totalitarian regime, which, let's be honest, that's what we're all doing, uh, essentially, on, Well, when we're here on this earth. Yeah, you, you said, uh, you call it outdated, but I have to say, well, today it probably kind of is in its aesthetics. I hope there is. By the way, is there an updated uh, release with, uh, like, uh, what do you, remastered sound and... and, and there is, yes. There is a, both a 40th anniversary and a 50th anniversary Blu-ray edition where they went back to the original film prints and and and, and took it from the negatives. So it's beautifully pristine colour with Dolby 5.1 surround sound. So it has been modernised in that way. I, I, I didn't mean the series as a whole was outdated, but there are some scenes where he's walking through London and the cars are obviously uh, 60s cars, but that doesn't detract from it. No, but let me say that when I first discovered it, 
Uh, I think it was in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know. I was watching it. I, of course, I saw he was driving this sports car. But, you know, that's exactly what a retro car would look like. A veteran car, right? Yeah. So I had no idea when this was from. Uh, and, of course, this was, you know, in the late 90s. It was before the really digital world we're living in now. So... In the late 90s, or maybe it was early 2000s, I couldn't tell when this is from. Of course, it, it could be from the, uh, as soon as they got colors, or it could be a color thing from the 50s. It could be the 60s, of course. It could be the 70s. It could even be the 80s and 90s, because there's not many scenes. I, I realized eventually, but there's not that many scenes from our world, our collective world. Most of the scenes are in this confined space. Yeah. which has a very distinct fashion, distinct style, and all kinds of styles come back in vogue, right? So who knows when this could be from? And it was too, I was thinking, is this really as old as 70s or 60s? No, it can't be. It's too good. Mm. It's too modern to be from yeah. then, right? Yeah. So they have deliberately made a timeless kind of space. And I was looking at some of the phones and thinking, oh, they deliberately have made them a little retro, etc. But uh, as you have uh, have revealed, it is from the 60s. But once you start watching it, you won't realize it's from the 60s. For example, you have this episode, which is entirely in the Wild Western. Mm. I remember when I was watching that episode, I was thinking, damn, uh, the guy who gave me this has messed up. This is something else, right? I didn't see Patrick at all. Oh, my God, I'm watching a Western now. (laughs) A lot of people, every time it's been broadcast, people think the same thing. I'm sure I would have thought the same thing when I first saw it. But you're exactly right. It it is, although, as you say, you eventually can realize that it's from a certain era. But it it doesn't detract from the the series because, as you say, it's almost timeless. Mm. I, about five years ago, um, showed it to my kids for the first time. Now, they're slightly older now, but at the time, I think they were, Nine years old, 12 years old, and 15 years old. They they all had good things to say about it. They all had bad things to say about it. None of them said, like they do with with many things, you know, we watch the Avengers or we watch something else from the 60s. And they would immediately say, oh, it's quite old-fashioned. They didn't say that about The Prisoner. Right. Because they couldn't, because there was nothing old-fashioned about it. It almost was futuristic, even though it's 50 years old. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And and we're going to uh, go to the history of the prisoners and everything. But uh, I think um, the timelessness, it comes from it comes from the story, of course. I think it also comes from the way they are acting. I mean, they're, they're taking some British things and almost exaggerating it. So, you know, like you when you watch a classical James Bond, yeah. you expect it to be like that. So... It's very hard to pinpoint. And, and they have this closed space with its own culture. And just imagine, man, if Patrick was supposed to create this thing today, what he could do with this. Have you thought about that? Well, that, that would have been, I mean, that, that would be amazing. But um, yeah. I don't think that series could get made today. I mean, as you say, we will go into the, the details of how it was made. But mm. just uh, what your listeners might not know is that there was no contract. He just went up to his boss because he'd already been playing a, a character called Danger Man, which was like a James Bond on television type character. And he just went up to the, the, the boss of the TV company and said, I'm bored of this. I want to do something new. The boss said, well, what is it you want to do? So he, he explained what he wanted to do. I want to make this series about a man who's imprisoned in a strange village. And the guy said, yeah, so crazy. It might work. 
go ahead. Shook his hand, yeah. gave him the most amount of money that anybody had ever been given. It was the, the most expensive television show in British history at that point. And, and was just told to go away and make it. That wouldn't happen now. You can't make television programs on a promise and a handshake anymore. It has to go through no, right. 200 committees. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and then you know, it, it would probably wouldn't end up getting made. They'd make a pilot and someone in a, in a suit somewhere would say, oh, no, that's not for us. Or, or they would try to change it. Yeah, exactly. And, and McGowan made his own series. And it is so good because he was allowed complete control. I think if there had been some committee somewhere in an office picking holes in every episode. You know, when they tried to sell it to America, the, the Michael Dan, the head of CBS, came over and said, the Americans won't like this, you know, because he loses every week. Because I don't want to give any spoilers away, but obviously he doesn't he doesn't escape for, shall we say, the first few episodes. So he said, so I, I can't buy this series. I can't show this series. The Americans won't understand the series where somebody loses each week. And if he'd have had his way, it would have been a completely different series. But fortunately, McGowan said, well, you got his exact words were, you go away and make that series then. I'll, I'll carry on making mine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess, I guess not until stuff like Game of Thrones, they started to break the general narrative. Yeah. But he did it already back then. Mm. Now, let's let's start with the beginning because we, we can't talk about The Prisoner without talking about Patrick McGowan. And mm-hmm. he's such a genius. So I want to rewind all the way back to how he started out you already mentioned one of his series so what was his background and what brought him all the way to the prisoner Fine. and some people by the way claim that there's there's like disagreement but some say it's like it's like a conti- i think one of his co-creators claimed it was a continuation of the former shows so whether it was or wasn't it has influenced it he, he chose to use the 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 stuff he had already uh, achieved fame from as a kind of an angle into this new weird universe so let's start with the background then sure well he was actually born in america in new york in the late 1920s his family then moved to ireland um, when he was a a small boy and then when he was uh, uh, slightly older than that they then moved to england they settled in a a northern city called sheffield Um, and he sort of stayed in that area uh, and in in the north midlands in leicestershire Um, and decided to become an actor. So he spent most of his early years um, as a stage actor, doing things, something called repertory theatre. And a repertory theatre where was where you would perform a play in the evening, each night of the week for a week, and during the day you would rehearse for the next week's play. So every week you'd go to the theatre and you'd see the same people every week in the theatre. Mm. They'd be doing a different play every week, right. and they would just mix up the characters and, and whatever, but it would be the same set of actors so he did that for several years and then broke into television did a number of of, of tv plays um some of which are, are very good and you can get on on dvd and there was a series called armchair theater which was kind of plays for television a different one every week and he was in a couple of those which are which are very good indeed and it was while he was making one of those in 1959 uh, clifford adette's play called the big knife but Lou Grade, who ran ITV, which was a, a big commercial television station, still is a big commercial television station here in the UK. Lou Grade was watching this and, and thought, I, I, you know, I want to work with him. And just at the same time, Ian Fleming, the James Bond creator, yep. um, was involved in discussions with a gentleman called Ralph Smart. And Ralph Smart had been producing what we call swashbuckler television series in the 1950s, The Adventures of Robin Hood. William Tell, mm. 
you know, sort of uh, mm-hmm. oldie worldy historical, um, light-hearted dramas for television. He was in conversation with Ian Fleming about doing a James Bond TV series, which was simply going to be called James Bond. Hmm. They were looking for a leading man for this. Lou Grade thought, well, this is your guy. This Patrick McGowan fella. He can really act. It was at that point... Oh, my God. He he, he would have been a great James Bond. Well, he actually ended up turning down the role twice in in future years, (laughs) which I'm sure we'll discuss uh, in a moment. But um, at that point, Ian Fleming was talking to Eon um, about doing films of James Bond rather than the TV series. And then that's how that developed. So Ian Fleming went off to do films, but they still had this idea. Okay, what are we going to do? We had this TV series in mind where it was going to be a secret agent. Um, And uh, I think McGowan's the right guy for this. They, out of that, created uh, something called Lone Wolf, which they then renamed to Danger Man. Mm. And why Danger Man was different was because it did start off as a James Bond womanizing, gun-toting, fairly unpleasant secret agent. Mm. What McGowan did was he looked at this and said, I'm not going to do any womanizing. I'm certainly not going to shoot anyone. I'll be your secret agent as long as we don't have those things in it. And that's how the, the character of John Drake and, and the series Danger Man uh, was born. He was the no guns, no girls secret agent, something which we, we hadn't really had at that time. All, all secret agents were kind of masculine, yeah. womanizing, yeah. you know, they'd kiss the girl at the end of the episode. Drinking you know. martinis. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to do something different. So they did a series called Danger Man. There were half hour um, uh, episodes, uh, the first series. It was fairly successful. It, it was sold to America. He had two years off from that where he did some Disney movies, did some other movies, came back in 1964, did Danger Man again, a, a, another series, this time hour-long episodes. I mean, that, and that, that was huge. He, he, was, he was, at that point, an incredibly famous actor. They offered him the part of James Bond. Yeah, wouldn't you say Danger Man was at the line of all the other famous agent series of the time? It was at the same level, right, in terms of yeah, popularity. Oh, absolutely, and it was renamed Secret Agent in the US, and he was a massive star there as well, so much right. so. They offered him the film role of James Bond. Mm. He turned it down. Mm. Sean Connery instead became Bond, and he turned it down for the same reason that he'd, he'd changed the original Danger Man character mm. because you know he talked about the scripts and saying these are just so basic. It's just about a an unpleasant man using his gun and getting the girl at the end of the movie. Mm. I don't want to play roles like that. So he turned down James Bond. He was offered it again when Sean Connery stopped and and Roger Moore then became Bond. Mm. He was offered it again and he turned it down again. The same reason, you know, he didn't want to play this immoral type character. I hope both Connery and Moore has been appreciative of Patrick. (laughs) Yes, because their careers owed a lot to uh, exactly a lot to. Although in Roger Moore's case, of course, he he was doing very well at that point. Um, Sean Connery was slightly more unknown, I think, when he took uh, a more more played the saint before that, didn't he? Yes, he did. That's right, and he was he was quite famous. And Ivanhoe as well was Mm. another famous character that he'd played um uh, so yeah so he but he'd, the thing is about danger man although it was hugely successful it was fairly formulaic you knew what you were getting each week even though you weren't getting the guns and the girls you knew what you were getting you'd get you know a voiceover at the beginning you'd get patrick mcgowan you know getting the bad guy the bad guy would get his comeuppance you know he would solve the crime or whatever um, well, it wasn't really a crime-based police series, but you, you no, get the idea. I'd, I'd say it was it was propaganda on behalf of the deep state in order to maintain the Cold War. 
that's all what all these uh, you know romanti- romanticizing uh, uh, intelligence agents was all about and i can see why patrick would grow tired of that because because didn't didn't the series stop because he wanted it to stop yeah and that's exactly what happened he, he got bored yeah he got bored of it that that started a fourth series which was in color mm. Uh, Danger Man had always been a black and white series, a nice sort of film noir feel about right. it, if you, if you if you kind of understand that terminology. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, he got bored. They'd done two episodes in colour. They, they weren't particularly well scripted. And I th- he just got bored. And that was the point at which he went up to Lou Grade and said, look, I've had this idea kicking around in my head for a few years. Um, can I go with that? At the same time, a guy called George Mark Stein, who'd been involved in television writing, He'd edited, script edited a couple of episodes of Danger Man. He'd been involved in some really interesting TV series such as Court Martial. He'd also been working on these ideas um, because he'd been doing some research into these establishments during the Second World War where um, spies were basically hidden or sent on holiday so that nobody could could get to them and, and, and get their secrets out of them. Right. So like right. retirement home for spies. And uh, George Marks going to be doing research into that. He'd got to know Magoo in, in sort of around 1965, 1966, after being introduced by, by a writer called Lewis Griefer. And the two of them got together with David Tomlin, who'd been a, a producer on the Danger Man series. And then with Lou Grade's blessing, that's how The Prisoner was born in the middle of 1966. Magoo's allegorical ideas about a man in isolation, George Markstein's knowledge of spies and, and and spy history and those sorts of establishments yeah that was the co-creator right yeah exactly that's right and and uh, although it depends who you speak to some people say that mcguin did everything and mark stein was just a fraud some people say that mark stein was the brains behind it and mcguin wasn't i like to think it was a bit of both and that without either one of them you wouldn't have the same series because you need that reality for mcguin's allegory to work you need it to have a setting yeah. Um, which is sort of recognisable as a kind of, although it never, although number six is never, that's the lead character in the prisoner for the listeners that are a bit baffled. They're, they're all called numbers. Uh, number six, although it's never admitted that he's a secret agent, we all assume he is, and he gets up to sort of some sort of spy craft throughout the episodes. Um, McGowan himself said that number six was a scientist, but I think it comes across that he's probably a secret agent of some kind. Um, without that secret agent element, I don't think you quite get that reality that McGowan then adds the allegory onto. So I think you have to have Mark Stein, you have to have McGowan, but you also have to have the terrific crew that they had. As you say, one of the things that makes it timeless is it's so beautifully filmed. Mm. And that's because they were all people used to making films. You know, they were great film cameramen and um, director of photography and people that had been working in the film industry for decades came together to make this film, you know, fantastic directors. And many of the actors, uh, guest actors, weren't they famous, high-quality actors of the time? Yeah, they, they were very much so. And when you look at some of the actors, people like Leo McKern, Patrick Cargill, some of the number two actors particularly, absolutely superb actors in their own right. Some of them only doing, you know, a couple of scenes or whatever, you know, but great character actors of the, of the, of the 30s and 40s in, in films appeared in these episodes. And that all adds to it. So visually, it's superb. You've got the allegory. You've got the action-adventure side of things that I think a lot of which came from from Mark Stein, um, which you notice don't appear in the last few episodes because at that point he'd left. That's why the last four or five episodes are slightly... (laughs) 
left field of the rest of the episodes because he'd gone by that point so they could Mugun could pretty much do what he wanted it it went in all the way but that all that's together that all that's together you don't get another tv series like that yes there are enigmatic tv series lost um is is a good example game of thrones as you say is something where they could they found they could go wherever they wanted with it but they're not the prisoner the prisoner has so many different layers and levels only because of the time it was made and the people came together. They caught lightning in a bottle, didn't they? And it's almost impossible to do that. I want to say to everyone who enjoyed Lost that it couldn't have been made without a prisoner. So, I mean, one thing is direct references, but the whole premise, they are confined in a space. They, too introduce this retro thing they too use one very important thing we have to mention is that and i think this is part of the mystique of prisoner what patrick did he broke the old you know in the a, a traditional agent uh, universe it's we are the good guys those are the bad guys there's never you never wonder about that james bond can kill as many bad guys as he wants because they are not really people they are just symbols of the evil you are battling but mm. when he throw through this monkey ranch into the television people were confused oh my god who's the good guys who's the bad guys are we the bad guys yeah and we can't even tell one thing is who is the good guys and who is the bad guys but which side are we talking about here who's on whose side right all these things are just completely switched around and i think that's a very important clue to and and by the way uh, this uh, co-writer you mentioned what was his name again george Marks. yeah he said I don't know if he said it just to tease or whatever, or maybe in his part of the contribution it was real, but he said this was the continuation of Danger Man. Yes, he did say that, and uh, other people say the same. And I'm sure that this was how it was sold to Lou Grade in the first place. You know, I've been playing Danger Man all these years. Let's imagine that Danger Man is imprisoned. Right. And other people in the production crew were told, you're now going to move from Danger Man to The Prisoner. Would you like to come on this, work on this job? It's a continuation of Danger Man. But I don't think it is because it, it, you then lose so much of what the series is about. The series, the lead character doesn't have a name. We never learn his name. And that's because he represents all of us. Mm. He's not John Drake's secret agent, although he is at the same time, that makes sense. Mm. He's everybody. He's all of us. All of us at some point in our life are imprisoned in some way, whether that's by an illness and you can't go out, whether that's literally you're imprisoned, or we're just all imprisoned by whatever your thoughts on, on, on the COVID pandemic. Are you a prisoner wearing a mask? Are you imprisoned in some way because you can't express yourself? You, you know, there are all different mm -hmm. ways of being imprisoned, not just the physical imprisonment of somebody. Mm -hmm. You can be spiritually imprisoned. You can be uh, you know, imprisoned in your own home. Um, George Markstein himself said he was a prisoner because he had diabetes and therefore he couldn't eat what he wanted. Mm. And that was mm -hmm. one way of being a, a prisoner. Yes, there are lots of people, lots of fans of the prisoner think that number six is John Drake from Danger Man. And I'm not going to oh, disagree no. with that because it, it does make oh. sense. Yeah, I wouldn't even agree that he necessarily is called number six, but I, I'm, I'm not going to elaborate on that. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, so there is an argument for them to be the same character. Obviously, it's the same actor playing him. Yeah. So obviously, they look the same. We never find out who the person is. He works in a similar job. But equally, 
you do lose so much of what the series is about if you say this person is one man and he's in prison because of X, Y, and Z. You lose the whole ethos of the series when you do that. And also, he drove a different car, lived in a different house, worked in a different building, had a different office, was engaged, whereas Danger Man wasn't, didn't have a partner. So there are lots of things which point to it not being the same character. But at the end of the day, George Marks, I always said, was Patrick McGoon was avoiding paying royalties. Mm. If if the prisoner had been about Danger Man being imprisoned in a village, he would have had to have paid royalties to the man that created Danger Man, who was Ralph Mm. Smart. Mm. Um, So I think George Marks was slightly being cheeky, but there is an argument for the two characters being the same. It's not one I subscribe to but it's one that many people do. And if, if that's the way that they get through the series and enjoy the series, that's up to them. And don't forget that people would have been watching him as Danger Man for seven years on the television. The next week they see him, he's an unknown man being imprisoned. It's not difficult to sort of put uh, put two and two together. You know, it, it'd be like if uh, in 1968, suddenly William Shatner uh, was playing a uh, a retired starship captain without a name. Right. People would immediately say, oh, it's Captain Kirk. Yeah. because that's what that, that's how they're used to seeing him so i can understand why people do that it's not for me right uh, well um i don't think it ruins anything for those who want it to be john drake from uh danger man because definitely not in a way he is the proverbial guy who has sold his soul to the powers that be and is now trying to get it back be that uh, it could be John Drake uh, later in life he's married or he's got a fiance and now he wants out it could be any other person in the system whether an agent a scientist whatever it's not important I I think it works on both levels exactly that's what makes the series so great he can be anybody you want him to be and that's what's so fantastic about it yeah so it's not an either or here Uh, But uh, I would even say that about referring to him as number six. Uh, Remember, he says, and and people will recognize this from Iron Maiden, those who have been into 80s metal. He says famously in every episode, he says, I'm not a number. I'm a free man. Yes. (laughs) So ironically, we're referring to him as number six. (laughs) That's a good point. I should probably refer to him as the prisoner. Yeah. Uh, Because that's what it was called in the scripts. When you look look at the original scripts for the series, he was never called number six. He was called P, P for prisoner. So you're right. Right. But then uh, I see your prisoner and I raise you with this. I'd venture that everyone else is the prisoner and he's the only free man. Yes. And, and when you watch the episodes, you see that, and he says it himself in one of his speeches in the series, many of you have accepted the situation of your imprisonment and will die here like rotten cabbages. Mm. But he refuses to do that. He doesn't. You know, how, and, and again, that's a great allegory for life, isn't it? We are all part of the system, aren't we? Mm. He doesn't, he, he refuses to be. And that's great. That's, he's, a, he's a great television icon that character, Patrick McGowan's character in The Prisoner, because he refuses to be part of the system. How many of us can really say that we refuse to be part of the system? We we all play along, as do the other villagers. And you're right, he is pretty much the only free man there. Mm. And I think that applies outside of the so-called village too. We see, especially in the last episodes, we see how it's just a blur Uh, um, are we inside? Are we outside? I mean, he does uh, move around in London a couple of times without going into details. And 
you kind of get the feel that nothing has changed. You still don't know who to trust. Mm-hmm. You still don't know who's a friend or who's a foe. And it's a, it's a brilliant thing because there's a reference to people who obviously are his, should we say, uh, uh, partners, friends earlier in the, se- in the series. Suddenly, it turns out, oh my God, they're in on it too. Exactly. And it's the ultimate paranoid conspiracy. I mean, these days, conspiracy theory is a very popular notion. This is the original conspiracy theory show. <laughs> Absolutely. And you never get and you never fully get the answers. <laughs> like in life. You never find out whose side is the village on, whose side is he on. Yeah. You never get to you never get to understand whose side is anybody on. Mm. You you don't get to find out so many questions that you're asking as a viewer every episode. From episode one to episode seventeen, there are several questions you're asking. Who is he? Uh whose side the, is the village on? Who is number one? Why did he resign? Why is he there in the first place? You you don't fully get the answers to any of those questions. You get you get some things thrown at you, which you can then take to be the answer, but you don't fully ever get the answer. And what's great about the series is that it's completely cyclical, and I don't want to give away any endings to anybody, mm. but you can mm. watch episode 17 before watching episode one and it still makes sense that's right that's right because it's completely cyclical but i've been uh, i made a fetish out of finding the right uh, sequence because this is another thing this series was broadcasted somewhat arbitrary due to different reasons and the later releases are just as chaotic there's a handful different official sequences that all differ Mm. so the order i advise and i'm going to test you now to see what you think of it is the result of you know thorough analysis of chronology dramaturgy known time for events internal references etc so I think this is my favorite sequence. There's no right sequence, but this is the one I recommend to all my listeners when you're going to start embark upon this. I think you get most out of it. I mean, like Rick just said, it's not a linear type of show, but it's so weird, this show already, especially the last half. So I, I recommend you, you, you try to stick to uh, um, an optimal experience by using the most logical succession which i venture is this and if you disagree or critique come with it i want to hear it but number one i think you should start with the episode of course called arrival everybody agrees with that and i guess everybody also agrees about the last episode but then in my view the next should be dance of the dead yeah chimes of big ben oh interesting yeah free for all checkmate the schizoid man the general a, B, and C, a change of mind. Do not forsake me, oh my darling. It's your funeral. Many happy returns. The girl who was death, living in harmony, hammer into anvil, once upon a time, and finally fallout. I've I've watched it several times in that sequence. I think it works. A comment? Uh, I, I find little to disagree with. I think you're absolutely right that Dance of the Dead, Free for All and Checkmate have to come very early Mm. because throughout those episodes, there are references to him being new. Mm. He clearly doesn't, he's not fully settled in at that point. And I think you're absolutely right to have episodes like Hammer into Anvil towards the end because it's clear that he's in charge of the situation by that point. Mm. Although he's still a prisoner in the village, he's manipulating things the way he wants it to be manipulated. Mm. 
I would disagree with you on a couple of points, but only because I'm being very petty. Yeah, no, come on, um, come on. I would have many happy returns before Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, only because in many happy returns, he's told he's been gone a gap of months, and in Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, he's been gone a year. So I'm taking that to mean that uh, mm. Do Not Forsake Me, he's been gone longer than in many happy returns. But I'm being very petty about one line of dialogue. No, no, no. This is interesting. Uh, do you have other other inputs like that? Uh, Chimes of Big Ben I would have slightly later only because I wouldn't have him escape prior to free-for-all and right. checkmate because at that point, I think in those two episodes, he's still really finding his feet, whereas in Chimes he's a bit more a bit more confident, a bit more settled. Mm. I think in free-for-all, he's still a little bit bewildered as to what's going on around him. Mm. He's still a bit more reactive. He sees a chance to escape, so he grabs it. He jumps in the yeah, speedboat, yeah. tries yeah. to get away. Yeah. Whereas in, in Checkmate and Chimes, it's a little bit more considered. Right. I think he's a little bit less panicked because I think he's been there a little longer. But that's just an opinion. I don't think you're wrong. No, 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 it's a good point. I don't think you're wrong to put those episodes where you put them. There's a group of episodes things like change of mind, living in harmony, girl who was death, they could pretty much go anywhere, yeah, couldn't they? Yeah, they could. You could, yeah. put one, you could put them in second or tenth or fifteenth. I mean, they are standalone episodes, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I love about your order, and you've done this, so many people don't do this. You've put the schizoid man before the general, and you've put the general before A, B, and C. So many people mix those the other way around, whereas I think it's absolutely clear that the number two character who appears in the general and A, B, and C in the first episode, he's confident. In the second episode, he's absolutely manic and paranoid, yeah. and he knows he's going to yeah. lose his job. Yeah. Some people put yeah. A, B, and C before the general. That makes no sense at all, because it's clear... No, because uh, I think they refer to the general, doesn't they? It, yes, in the schizoid man, he talks about, the you know, I'm going to report to the general. Yeah. Number six doesn't know who the general is. Mm. So the schizoid man has to go before the yeah. general. The general has to go before A, B, and C, because it's clear that number two is at the end of his job at the end of a b and c when that red phone rings um, without giving away any spoilers you know that that's 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 the end of him isn't it <laughs> that's doom yeah um for, once upon a time and fallout you have to have as the last two because they they, they follow on there are two parts yeah, yeah. even though they were filmed nearly a year apart and um, there are oh, wow. there are two parter that, that do go together Arrival has to come first. I, I find little to disagree with. I would switch many happy returns and, and do not forsake me and possibly leave a bit of a gap between the two so that there's not two London-centric episodes too close together. Oh, I see. But, that's, but I find little to disagree with. I think the fascinating thing about the ordering of episodes is that there is no right and wrong answer. It is only opinions. And, and I find little to, to particularly pick holes at with your order. My order is online. If people want to go to my website, theunmutual.co.uk, if you go to the FAQ, my personal order is on there. It's not dissimilar to Al's order. So a lot of you could compare the two and say, there's not a lot of difference there. And I promise your listeners that we haven't been conferring. No, but uh, that's the point. Uh, uh, I think many people will give this show a chance after they listen to it, uh, to us today. Great. And if they use your order, that I, uh, I would be absolutely happy with that. There are some orders where I'd be screaming, no, don't do it. But if they follow your order, if they follow your order, I would be more than happy with that. I think, I think you've done great there. Do you remember your order by heart? Do you know what? <laughs> I probably don't, actually. Okay, so I, know it's, I know it's Arrival first, uh, Dance of the Dead second. I'm sure it's free for all third and then um, uh, checkmate fourth. I have all the, the Port Marion heavy episodes first okay. because they were all, each one of those episodes, along with Chimes of Big Ben, 
Um, each of those episodes were written as episode two. Uh, they were all uh, given, uh, all the writers for those uh, five episodes, uh, four episodes, I beg your pardon, were given a brief as to say, I want you to write the second episode of the series. This wow. is what the series is about. That's why in those episodes, they're all kind of thinking that they're, they're new. Oh, that the number six, sorry, that the prisoner, I've got to stop calling him number six after your rebuffal. <laughs> um, uh, um, they're also, the prisoner is new in the village. Please write an episode about him finding his feet. And that's why they're all so early. So uh, Arrival, Dance of the Dead, Free for All, Checkmate would be my first four. Then Chimes of Big Ben. The, all those are pretty interchangeable, but I think Dance of the Dead has to come second. Right, so I agree with you yeah. on that one. I would then, I think you then had Schizoid Man, the General A, B and C yep. next. I totally agree with you. I would then have many happy returns because I think it's now got to the point where he has been gone a gap of months. And after his success, if you call it that in A, B and C at beating the system and making a mockery of number two, mm. I think the village are going to try and get their own back. So I think the episode that follows A, B and C has to be one where the village are, are, are going to cut him down. Mm. And they do that with many happy returns. Then I think I had change of mind. Then hammer into Anvil. Um, then do not forsake me, oh my darling, only just to give a, a little bit of a gap from many happy returns. Mm. Then I have living in harmony and girl who was death. I think at this point, the village are beginning to run out of ideas as to how to break number six. Mm. So I think living in harmony is their last big chance. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it's a, it's a dangerous thing that they do to him with that episode. Mm. Then it's Girl Who Was Death, and I think that episode is where the village are just biding their time. They know they're running out of ideas. So that's why the Girl Who Was Death is there. I then have It's Your Funeral 15th, and this is just a very personal thing. No one else apart from me ever makes this point, and it's probably because it's a load of rubbish. Mm. But in It's Your Funeral, a retiring number two is there, who clearly has been there for some time. Yeah. And he yeah. talks about the fact there's been so many interim number twos while he's been away on leave. So my theory is, is that he was always the permanent number two. Mm. And the reason that we see mm. a change of number two character every episode is because they are all just interim number twos filling in until the retiring number two comes back from leave and then retires in this episode. It's at that point they then bring Leo McKern's number two back for once upon a time for the one last chance right. to break the prisoner. Right. And then, then we have the last episode. So that, that's my order. In the end, I did pretty much remember it. The change of mind and hammering to anvil can go the other way round. If they are in the other way round in my order, that wouldn't surprise me. But I think change of mind came first, then hammer into anvil. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's my order. People uh, listening now may think this is uh, completely unimportant, but no, because I think uh, you get an optimal experience by an optimal sequence. <laughs> and like you say, some episodes, yeah, they can be switched around, but some I think is pretty central to the whole dramaturgy unfolding to do it in in a way where you think of all these things. I think it's a brilliant thing that they gave three different writers say, here, make episode two. Mm. I mean, th th I've never heard about that before. That's a great way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, exa that's exactly what happened. I mean, all of the writers weren't really given much to work on because most of the episodes, other than the last four or five, were written pretty much before they'd even finished making the first one. So a lot of the writers didn't really have a lot to work with, which is why each episode is so different. Mm. There's not many mm. writers that write more than one episode. Some write two. There's a couple that write. Uh, there's one that writes two that write three off the top of my head. Um, 
But yes, what's interesting is that the original broadcast order, the one that you see in most DVD sets, has the all those early episodes that were supposed to be episode two. They have them at various points. So one is second, one is episode six, one is episode nine, one is episode eleven, something like that. Yeah, Uh, yeah. and when you uh, on a dramatical perspective, that is complete rubbish. The reason that they did it was because they wanted to break up the episodes that were filmed in the summer in Port Merion. They didn't want all the Port Merion beautifully outdoor episodes to all be shown first, Mm. and then all the episodes that were basically filmed in a studio replica Mm. to be the rest of the episodes. They broke those up just to make it look a bit visually different to the viewers. But you lose a lot of the the dramatical story with that. But I first saw it in that sequence. The people that watch it on DVD often watch it in that sequence. If you watched it on TV at the time in 1967, you probably watched it in that sequence. I dare say when you first saw it in the 90s, you watched it in that sequence. No, no, I, I got it on, um, someone uh, gave it to me and said, here, watch oh, it. here's in- the order, right. Yeah. You had the advantage over most of us. I'm- yeah, but it was a rubbish order. He he wasn't that. <laughs> he he didn't calculate for internal references and stuff. So, so there you go. So in which case, but did you feel cheated when you watched it, or did you still love the series? So I was a, I was a bit confused. I wonder if okay. I had done a mistake. But you know, okay. you you're doomed to experience that. Like like I say, when the Western episode come, or when the and and then he reverts to a classical secret agent episode. Like, like, really, like, uh, what you call a, 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 um, almost like a cliche, and and when it is, it is right, and it, and it was based on yeah, the girl who was death. It was actually based on an unused Danger Man story. Ah, there you uh, go. So that's why it is the <laughs> classical thing, because th- th- at that point, yeah, and your listeners might not know this. Originally, the idea in those days, series were always done in blocks of thirteen episodes. So you get one series of 13 or two lots of 13 to make 26, mm. three lots to make 39. There are exceptions to that. But it became clear early on that the, the Americans were only going to buy it as a summer series. So they ordered 17 episodes as a compromise between somewhere between 13 and 26. When it came to the, the first 13 having been filmed, George Markstein left the series. And then it was a case of, well, we've got four more to make and you're going to have to do it pretty quickly. Um, everyone looked around and went, well, we've got no more scripts. George Mark Stein's gone. He was in charge of the writers. He's gone. What are we going to do? So they thought, well, let's ask the crew to come up with some ideas. So what happened is David Tomlin, who was co-producer, um, said, well, I've got this Danger Man storyline that we never used on Danger Man. Mm. Um, mm. If I give this to, to Terence Feely, he can knock an episode out of it. So it was a straightforward secret agent episode tied into the prisoner i won't give away how it works because that's an episode that your, your listeners might not have seen mm. other crew members submitted storyline ideas one of them was a chap called ian rakoff who was a big comic book fan um and he based um an episode on a gene autry western comic where gene autry arrives at a town called harmony and doesn't want to wear a gun that became the episode living in harmony uh, and that's that's a reference to agent man he didn't want to use a gun either. He didn't want to carry a gun. No, exactly. Mm. Exactly. And um, and then uh, they had one more episode left and they thought, well, we've got a problem here because Patrick McGowan, to raise more money for the series, is off to Hollywood to make a film called Ice Station Zebra in Hollywood. Mm. So he's not even going to be around for this episode. So we need to write an episode where Patrick McGowan, the lead character or the lead actor, doesn't appear. <laughs> So they originally thought, well, let's. why don't we have this thing about some magicians in town and they magic number six's character away yeah. and then i thought yeah. no let's just go for a, a, a you know 
the good old body swap episode idea. And that was how Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling. So the last three, what some would call weird episodes. Hang on. It, it, it's good old today. Was it that good old back then? Isn't it very innovative? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think series like uh, Star Trek and so on were doing stuff like that. Yeah, okay. People with your mind in another person's body. Mm. Or did that come after, maybe? Could be. It's pretty early. Yeah, in which case, that's a, that's a fair enough comment. So either way, we'll do a body swap episode. Um, and that way, that, that, that eliminates the fact that we don't have our main actor. Uh, for the episode so. yeah but but the, the the actor they got to swap the body with is bloody good he 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 really behaves like patrick i like nigel stop people see when you when you ask fans what their least favorite episode is a lot of people say that episode but i really enjoy it i really like it i think he does give a good performance i think mm. some lovely music in the episode mm. it's great to see them out of the village isn't it yeah and around yeah. london and you find out a bit more you find out he's engaged and you find out that they're, uh, they're, you get an idea who are these, you know, are they on his side? Are the bosses not on his side? Mm. It throws up a lot of really great questions, um, I think, that episode. But if people say, why are those last episodes so weird? It's because three of them were made like that. They were almost accidental. What are we, what, what on earth are we going to do? We need some more episodes. Okay, well, let's, let's ask the crew to come up with some ideas. And that's what you're left with. Once upon a time, was actually the sixth one to be filmed because that was originally going to be the end of the first season and um, was going to be Once Upon a Time, but then they carried it over to be the penultimate episode and Fallout, which I think is a work of genius, but some people say is a mess, um, was written by Patrick McGowan in the space of two days um, right at the end of the, of, of the series. So that's the reason that the, the series is complete. It's almost two, two different series, isn't it? The first yeah. sort of 13 yeah. to be made in the last five... So I think you did the right thing by moving Do Not Forsake Me a bit earlier because it breaks that up a little, doesn't it? Mm. But uh, I say that um, at some point in one of the episodes, I think it was before the the Americans, uh, CAA, they had these experiments with drugs. What was this called? Project, uh, uh, not the Stargates, uh, you know, like a mind control uh, project. Yes, I don't know the name of it, but yes, I'm aware that that's happening. Yeah. Everybody, all my listeners know, and I'm kicking myself. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Are you saying that all your listeners are on mind-controlling drugs, Al? Is that what you're Well, they're into it, so <laughs> they, they know. And good, But good. I, I forgot the name. But anyway, you guys know what I refer to. And I think this was before that actually happened. And he shows here... Uh, I remember a very popular techno song from the 90s where they use a sample from there. They say three doses and that's the absolute limit or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then in uh, the two last episodes, I think, there's kind it, it, they're so psychedelic that they are a reference to the earlier episodes where they try to mess with the mind where they use... I mean, in one episode they use drugs, in another they use... I mean, today there's machines. There wasn't back then that we know of, but he, he, he portrayed it. So I think that the law, the psychedelic of the last episodes is quite deliberate, yeah. and and that's uh, emphasized by the fact that he actually wrote them himself. Yeah. And you mentioned that many people didn't like it. Isn't it true that people wasn't? You you remember the series called Twin Peaks? Yes. People hated the ending of the original, but it kind of did the same as this one. So I, I read something that they had to <laughs> he had to escape from the contra or something. There was like an uproar. Uh, can you elaborate on that? 
Yeah, I mean, we don't know how much of this is actually true, but um, the, 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 the uh, phone lines of the TV station were allegedly flooded with calls at the end of the after the end of the final episode of irate viewers phoning up and saying, "I've just wasted the last seventeen weeks exactly. wanting to find out what this was all about." And we get to the end, and we haven't found out what any of it was all about. <laughs> and Patrick McGowan in interviews has said that he was hounded in the street with people you know raising their fists in his face and he was delighted by that by the way yeah. he wanted people to get angry he wanted people to talk about it yeah. but he always says oh i had to go into hiding mm. how much of that is actually true we don't know yes he, he did move to switzerland in the early 70s and then spent the rest of his life in america living in california very happily with his with his wife there and his, his three daughters um how much of it is actually true that people were going up and haranguing him in the street i don't know there's certainly no actual you know recorded evidence of that taking place so there may be a bit of dramatic license there from patrick to explain what was going on but i'm sure there were people phoning up the tv station so much so the tv station actually put out a newsletter to its staff to explain to people whether if they did come to them and say what's the prisoner all about they had a set of staple answers to say <laughs> you know what what does the butler represent why number six uh, you know why the penny farthing all these sorts of things yeah. so they had a set of answers to say to people well this is because of this this is because of that so i have no doubt that the viewers were angry and confused and they still are if you go on social media forums or pages for the prisoner there are people there that are obviously fans of the series but they turn around and they say i thought the last i loved it but i hated the last episode thought it was rubbish mm. now is that because they didn't understand it is that because they only think on linear lines and everything has to be everything has to be in in, in pigeonhole boxes for, for people to understand mm. that's 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 my view everyone that i've ever met that 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 truly loves the series loves it because of the final episode not despite it mm. final episode is what is what brings it all together and it is completely different to the rest of it but it absolutely pulls everything together that last episode i think it's an absolute work of genius and you will never see an hour's television like that all of our files are free and will remain free if you like the show you can show support by donating one dollar to help with expenses just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. I can't imagine that people in the 60s were ready for something like this. Uh, and this was even before the hippie area really took off. I can't imagine that. I mean, e e even Twin Peaks was too much for people. And that was when? In the 80s, 90s? Yes. And yes. So today, I think people are primed to watch a series like this without uh, tearing their ha hair off. But yes. back then, I'm pretty sure people were uh, up in arms. And no, it was absolutely unique. I mean, yeah. it were, they're, they're, no one had ever seen anything like this. The people were used to straightforward um, you know, secret agent or light, fluffy um, things like The Saint, which are great. You know, I love The Saint. I love other IT sh ITC shows like The Champions and, 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 and things like that. And 
But people were used to that, or, or, or police drama series, soap opera. Mission Impossible. Yeah, Mission Impossible. Exactly. You know, the early series of Star Trek. Yes, kind of some science fiction stuff was around, but it was all fairly standard. You know, go to a planet, meet an alien. Yeah. You know, all they're representing the Nazis. That kind of uh, mm. that kind of allegory was very kind of obvious in television then. No, the prisoner was completely different, completely new. And it w- would have absolutely been a, a, a real surprise to people. And it was, people say it wasn't successful. It was, it was still getting nine, 10 million viewers every week, which in the UK at that time. Yeah, because sh- you get hooked, you get hooked immediately. There were only sort of something like 25 million TV sets in the UK. So almost half of the viewers were watching The Prisoner. It, it was a massive series at the time. So I can understand how the, the switchboards would have been jammed with angry callers because it was such a popular thing. Everybody expected the last episode to come around and you to get all the answers. And yeah. yes, you got some answers, but there were oof, an awful lot that you didn't get and that we still don't have. That, that's the problem that for every answer you get, 10 new questions arise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like in life. Absolutely. But um, I think uh, uh, the brilliance of it is that uh, there are different levels. There are open-ended uh, threads. Mm. He does wrap up some things, and he kind of takes it. I mean, he does give on th- that. That's the, that's another brilliant thing. He d- actually does give many answers, but the answers doesn't fit in a linear, normal mm. space-time kind of black and white thing. You have to go deeper for some of these answers. Uh, some people have speculated, and we're not going to blow it, but you know the big reveals at the ending. Some have said that no, it's just it was uh, coincidental, or it was just uh, up on the spot, whatever. No, I think it was pretty deliberate. Oh, absolutely deliberate. And uh, one, you know, I've watched the series in, in 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 the modern age, same as you have, where we have videos and DVDs where we can. pause things where we can wind back where we can watch a second time but the first time this would have been shown in 1967 in the uk it was only shown in black and white although that that first that the final episode would have been seen early 68 thank you part so that february 68 the the last episode went out for the first time in the uk in black and white that reveal that you talked about would have only been on screen for about five seconds Mm. what a brilliant but yet frustrating, I'm sure, for some viewers. Idea that is that the whole thing that you've been waiting for for 17 weeks is only on the screen for five seconds. If you'd looked at your foot to give it a scratch, you'd have missed it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, you know, isn't that isn't that whilst whilst at the same time you could say, well, that's 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 not good. Isn't that superb? Isn't that a brilliant thing to have your your big reveal being such a small thing that is open to interpretation? Yes, I agree with you that it's totally deliberate. But you can see how people can interpret it in different ways. Yeah. Because it's presented in such a non-obvious way. As we, as you say, all of the answers that you're given, you're given an answer, but then you're given 10 more questions, mm. which you don't have the answers to. And I think we can't underestimate the political aspect of the prisoner. At one level, it is about the individual's battle against authoritarianism, tyranny, mm. and the human condition the human prerogative and instinct to keep stuff like privacy personal space a free mind a free speech it's a lot about that and and that's why we automatically have to identify with the prisoner 
uh, or number six, or with Patrick. Maybe we should just call him Patrick. That then we're sure. Yes, right? let's do that. <laughs> and, and also they are confused because where is the tyranny coming from? You know, the classical difference between 1984 and Brave New World is that in 1984, the suppression is overt. In Brave New World, is covert, or it's like you, you, you're tricked into, you know, you, you're wanting to be suppressed. Mm. The brilliance here is that he displays both of them at the same time. It's both 1984 and Brave New World. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We are all prisoners, but yet we are all prisoners of our own making. Mm. Yeah, I think is the key to the to, to what the prisoner is about. It's not a straightforward, as you say, these are the these are the bad guys and they're they're taking the good guys and they're imprisoning them. It's not about that. It's about how you create your own prisons. Mm. It's about how you are the prisoner and the warder at exactly the same time. Yeah. And, and no other series does does that and throws something at you whereby you can take the two extremes. You can have one view, and if you think of the absolute opposite extreme view to that view, it would still be right. Yeah. No, it's the the exact polar opposite of it. But but I, I think it's wrong to say it's not about that because it is about that. But the, the, just like in life. You can be on a team, right? And then when you go further, you discover, oh, my God, my team is as bad as that team. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, my God, my team is actually doing bad things to my own people. And so yeah. I think it's true uh, at some level. But then when he goes to a deeper level, he realizes it's not that simple anymore. You see what I mean? So it's both. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, and that, that's, and, and you said this at the very beginning. Mm. It's, such a, it's such a program that is specific to today yeah 2020 2021 yeah it's absolutely relevant that when you think about places like guantanamo bay mm. when you think about leaders like boris johnson mm. who are absolutely exactly what the prisoner was almost warning us against you know they, they're supposedly the good guys but yet they're doing all the bad things mm. even though the enemies are supposed to be the bad guys but the enemies are actually not the ones doing the bad things mm. you're absolutely right that it's it was relevant then in the 60s it's even more relevant now and mm. um, it was relevant at the time for many many reasons you know the vietnam war was happening uh, and and lots of other things at the time that as you say we were at the back end of the cold war mm. and it was important that that's referenced in the, in the in the show people sometimes say you know i put up political things sometimes people say you know the, the, don't bring politics into the prisoner. The prisoner was politics. <laughs> it absolutely was what it was about. You know, there's a whole episode, Free For All, which is a superb yeah. parody of the election system and how yeah. how absurd, really, elections are. There's a great line in it. Everybody votes for their dictator. Right. And, and that's absolutely how we are in, in the modern world today with, with, with certain people being president or prime minister or whatever. You can probably pick many countries where they're, you know, everybody has voted for the for the person that in the end is a dictator and not a yeah. um, you know not a not a not a free thinking individual like we're supposed to think. Exactly. And the prisoner absolutely said that fifty five years ago. Yeah, I also love uh, you talked about the city, uh, the town, uh, port. What's it called? Port. Port, port Merion. It's a beautiful place in North Wales, and you again, like the series itself, is unique. It's not actually a, in the sense it's not actually a real place. It was built by one man. He bought a piece of land. And what he wanted to do was show that you could build on a piece of land without making it look worse. So what he did, he basically collected buildings and bits and bobs from all over the world, dismantled them and rebuilt them in Wales on this little bit of headland with a beach and made his own little village. And that was in the 1920s to the 1950s. 
Patrick McGowan happened to go there for some filming for Danger Man, saw the place and thought, well, this is the place I want to use for my my series because this is perfect because it could be anywhere. Yeah. When you watch the program, I bet you didn't think to yourself, that's in Wales. No. <laughs> it could be anywhere. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Actually, in the show itself, they speculate, is it in Morocco? Yeah. Is it in, in the Baltic states? Is it, Correct. I mean, it could be all over the map. Exactly, exactly. And that was that was what Patrick McGowan wanted. He wanted us to think, this could be anywhere. And that, again, that's a great allegory for life, isn't it? That doesn't matter where you are, you can still be a prisoner. Mm. But isn't it true that it has become quite a tourist phenomenon? Oh, very much so. It was, it was, although it was built so that he could finance the building of this place, he opened it as a hotel. And it was a high-class hotel to begin with. So famous people like Noel Coward, Frank Lloyd Wright, Uh, would go and stay there, the Duke of Westminster and so on. And now it is a massive tourist attraction with a quarter of a million visitors every year. It costs £12 to pay on the door to get in and have a look around. All the buildings in the village are either um, shops or hotel rooms that you can can pay and stay in the village um, and wake up and and undraw the curtains and, and, and be in the village. Um, uh, yes, it's a, it's a it's a big tourist concern. It's one of the most popular places in in the UK. But but are nothing like museums, like you can go in and watch. The, this was used in the. Is every house in use, so you can't go in? And... Yeah, if, yeah, there, yeah. Unfortunately, there isn't uh, there isn't a place which is like a prisoner museum. Every building is either a shop or it's somewhere to stay. Number six's house is a um, is a souvenir shop of prisoner memorabilia. So you can buy badges and DVDs and posters and whatever to do with the series um which i guess will will teach you all you need to know but no there is no sort of interactive prisoner um uh uh, prisoner display so to speak really of uh, of any note everything is in use Mm. to bring in income or 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 for someone for people to stay so it's it's like a disneyland a small disneyland for the prisoner yeah there's no there's no yeah there's no there's no attractions or rides it's simply you stay in the architecture and then when you leave the architecture you then Turn around and look at the architecture. It's 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 no deep. and aesthetics of the nature too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's in the middle of a, of a there's beautiful woodland there. I mean, I would I would fully recommend anybody go to stay there because even aside from the prisoner, it is a magical place. Mm. Again, created by a genius. Where no matter where you're standing, you've got a beautiful vista. Every little archway has its own little view. There's curios everywhere of little statues and and colonnades and things which. I say he collected from various places. Every building and every part of a building has its own story. It was the perfect place to, to, to film The Prisoner. And again, that's another reason why I don't think the remake worked. They, they went to South Africa and just found a sort of a village that looked fairly unusual. But I think Port Marion has a magic that adds to The Prisoner. Right? Because as you said earlier, you're not aware of where you are. You just know you're in the village. Mm. It's not immediately obvious where the viewer can sit there and go, oh, well, We know where that is. That's Paris or that's Berlin. I recognize it. Unless you've been to Port Marion, which not many people have, you wouldn't have a clue where this place was. And that. No, I was quite surprised when I f- yeah. finally found out where it actually is. And I'm going to visit it at some point. I haven't yet. I've been to Wales. I've been to Hay on Wye. Um, oh, okay. Uh, I don't know where in Wales this is, but I'm going to find out. But it's a beautiful yeah. place. Hail Mai is probably the furthest place away from <laughs> it that you could have found, actually. So, um, uh, so if people look at a, if people look at a map of the UK, yeah. Wales is on the left. There's two bits that stick out of the, the middle of the UK on the left-hand side. Yeah. The very top bit that sticks out, it's on the underside of that, on the sea. 
So that's that's where you can find it. So is it is it in North? It's in North Wales. Um, it's by car, about four hours from Manchester, about five hours from London. Oh, okay. Um, you can get the train to a mile away down the road. It is quite expensive if you want to stay there, but it is worth every penny. Mm. The food is very nice. The service is very nice. And you get to stay in this magical place. There's nothing like waking up in the village and drawing the, you know, I'm drawing the curtains and seeing the village in front of. And, and there's a beach there, right? There is a beach there. It's on the coast, so there is a a beach um, estuary. Can you? So the tide goes out quite far, and you can go and walk on the beach and walk around. Can you play? Um, can you play chess with human beings like they do in a show? <laughs> people have people do do that. There are reenactments which take place from time to time, organised by various people, and that happens. Uh, the, what they have done in Port Marion is they've built a stone chessboard in the in the place where the human chess took place. There's now these massive, wow. immovable, you know, really heavy chess pieces there now. So right. you, you, it's, it's difficult to have a game of chess because there's this now this big chessboard. Right, right, right. right. Enough, ironically, but uh, yeah, people people do have had reenactments there of various episodes. There are events that happen there from time to time. Mm. Um, so um, yeah, it's a, it's a great place that people can enjoy. But it's a place in its own right. It was there before the prisoner. I'm sure it will still be there long after the prisoner has been forgotten about, if the prisoner could ever be forgotten. <laughs> But I, I think if you look, if you took Port Marion out of it, I don't think you'd quite have the same show. I think it was a mysterious enough mm. place, but beautiful enough place that it really added to the series. I think it would still be a great series, but I think you'd lose a little bit yeah. of it if Port Marion wasn't part of it. Totally. Agree. In the same way that you'd lose a bit of it if you didn't have Patrick McGowan. If it had been Roger Moore or Sean Connery, mm. I don't think the character would have been the same. I think McGowan does angry angst yeah. better than anybody, <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah, very well you know, put. And one could argue that's all he does. I mean, he doesn't particularly do warm and cuddly. <laughs> You know, you don't see many romantic Patrick McGowan movies. No. He tends to do this kind of a uh, angsty man, angry man thing really well. Yeah, me against the system. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I've heard certain uh, bits and bobs that at one point he didn't want to be the, the lead character in The Prisoner, but just ended up doing it. Right. Um, I can't see anybody no. else playing The Prisoner other than Patrick. No, he knew what was uh, going to happen. Uh, some of the magic of The Prisoner is, as you have touched already, it's, it's this combination of realism and surrealism. And mm. for the latter, we cannot avoid um, referring to these UFO-like control systems, these spooky, weird balls mm. that... Rover. It's it's something it's something archetypal. It's something you can't quite put your finger on. What makes it so eerie? You have a saying in English, "uncanny valley" or something. Uh, it's, it's 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 a and again, it's just it's just genius, but also almost coincidental because originally these um, um, uh, these guardians, it was going to be a a basically a I guess you'd call it a sort of road spacecraft. It was going to be basically a robotic go-kart right with a big stripy top and a light on top and there is footage they did actually build one took it to port marion realized it didn't work mm. so they couldn't use it it was originally just going to be this thing that drove around apprehending people by hypnotizing them ah. so this thing would drive around someone's trying to escape the thing would drive down hit them with like a hypno ray person would be hypnotized and couldn't escape right because the machine that they built didn't work McGowan was allegedly just sat there one day looking up at the sky, saw a balloon float past and went, there you go. Can you get me some of those? And they, they managed to get 10,000 of them. Wow. Uh, so that's another great thing. It's a weather balloon, right? Yeah, it's a weather balloon. 
But because of the effects that are added to it and the sounds that are added to it, mm. you know, you know it's a balloon, but it, it does, as you say, it, there's a real otherworldly thing. Is it a is it a is it a robot? Is it a living thing? Because you hear it breathing, don't yeah. you, in, in certain episodes? But again, purely coincidental. And the spooky sound it makes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which I will create just in case your viewers are interested. It's a it's a man screaming slowed down while some pellets are rolled around an inner tube of a bicycle tyre, whilst at the same time a monk's chorus is played backwards. When you mix all those sounds together, you get the sound of Rova. I mean, that's just, that is genius. You couldn't come up with, I couldn't ever come up with something yeah. like that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the benefit of down to say that you could. Yeah, well, uh, but I certainly couldn't. <laughs> but again, all these little things yeah. are in themselves genius so you imagine you've got all these genius things the, the, the foresight to sit there and see a balloon and say that's going to be the villain mm. that keeps everybody mm. in control in this in this series mm. only a certain type of brain so either a genius or someone who's on some mind-bending drugs yeah. which we're going what yeah. can come up with something like that and and then make it work yeah it is it is madness but then again remember uh one of the classical like oh it wasn't a ufo it was a weather balloon you know mm. and so to use a weather balloon for once and he uses it as a ufo because it goes underwater mm -hmm. it hovers in air yeah and so you're like the, uh, when when that is it's called rover when that is introduced yeah. in the series then you know this is okay, man. This is going to be harder than you thought. Yeah. This is a, like a next level shit they're throwing at you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then some of the sets as well, because he, you know, although it's clear it is set in 1967, because there's a couple of points at which it's given away what the year is. Oh, what? It's so futuristic, but also yet. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. What's what, what gives it away? I, I wasn't aware well, of in that. In one episode, he's chatting to number two, and it, uh, number two said, "What do you wish for?" And he says, I would like to be the first man on the moon. Ah. So you immediately know at that point mm. that it's set before 1969. Interesting. Um, so, the, again, I'm being picky, but it's there. If yep. it's in the dialogue, you've got to take it as canon. That's yep. what I always say. Yep. Yep. Um, but, but, but the point I'm making is that it's yet so futuristic. Yeah. There is nothing on Earth that is like Rover. There is nothing on earth that is like the inside of number two's residence with the, you know, with the chair coming up out of the floor and, <laughs> uh, 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 and you know, that sort of thing. And yeah. at that time, as you say, there is now at that time, there wasn't such a thing as being able to read people's dreams. Mm. Allegedly, you can sort of do that now. Mm. All that was so futuristic, especially then. But still, when you watch the series now, you think, when is this supposed to be? Yeah. Is this supposed to be the 60s? Is this supposed to be some sort of dystopian future? Is this set in the past? Is this set on another planet? Mm. How many villages are there when he escapes and comes back? He's back to the same village, a different village. Mm. There's all all these questions that you don't really have an answer to. And I don't think, and I don't recommend anyone paranoid watching it because uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know who to trust. If you're paranoid, well, you certainly will be after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, but but but. We should all be paranoid. I think that's what, yeah. it wasn't just, yeah. yes, it's entertainment. Of course it was made as entertainment. Mm. We accept that. But it's, to me, so much more than entertainment. Patrick McGoon was warning us about something. He was telling us, this is the world around you. This is what you're doing to yourselves. And he's absolutely right. When you watch it and you think about the world we live in today, he's got it absolutely spot on. 
absolutely spot on. And I saw, when I first saw the series, I was only 10 years old, but I, was, I, I had enough in me to realise that I was being taught something. I wasn't just being entertained. Mm. I wasn't watching mm. something just to pass an hour by. I was being told something important. Mm. Mm. And I've carried that with me ever since. And I, whenever I see the series, I still feel the same thing. I was like, he's telling me something here. Mm. I'm being taught something by the medium of a science fiction drama. What other science fiction dramas teach you something? I don't mean about, oh, the moral of the story is, you know, you got to love the person next to you. I'm not talking about something like that. I'm talking about something much deeper than that. Yeah. I'm talking about how you view yourselves and view yourself in society, how you view the world around you, how you treat everybody around you, what the people in charge of you are doing to you, what governments are doing in front of your eyes. Mm. It's not just about hidden stuff, conspiracy theories, you know, Area 51. It's not about that. It's about what's happening in front of your eyes. We are all being turned into nameless numbers. Yeah. yeah. But we're doing it to ourselves. We, we were taught something by that series, and that's what makes it so brilliant. Yes, it's great entertainment. Of course it is. And, and the, the effects are brilliant. And you watch this and you think, like you just said, that's some weird shit. And yes, you can watch it like that, but God, you're being taught something as well. Mm. And there's no other series that can do both of those things at the same time. So brilliant. Individuality, uh, soul, is some of the crucial few anchors we have uh, in order to understand the values mm. it is fighting for. And uh, one of the last points I want to make is also related to this, because uh, you have this Tom Cruise movie, Uh, what was it called again? You know, with uh, with uh, Vienna uh, Waltz and uh, secret ceremony, ice wide shot, yes. ice wide shot. Yeah, this is ice wide shot before ice wide shot because uh, maybe people think it, it, it's a mess. No, there is a certain progression, and at the end, you're gonna see some of the controllers. They will be revealed to you, mm. and I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that they are masked like in Ice Wide Shut. It's interesting because th this is a psychological level. You know, the mask is the persona and the persona is covering the individuality. So I think Patrick was very conscious of what he was doing there. Uh, so without revealing any scenes or anything, I, I just want to say when you see the different kind of power representatives, in a way they're all in uniform, they're all the same, Mm -hmm. uh, but he represents like the free man uh, at least he does <laughs> there until something else happens later yeah. so so i think that's very interesting that he kind of presents like in popular cultures is referred to as the illuminati you know what i mean mm -hmm. he kind of he kind of uses that too yeah to represent the symbolic um, masters Absolutely. And you mentioned that it's eyes wide shut before eyes wide shut. Mm. If all your listeners could think about the most interesting and important films and TV series that they've seen in the last 50 years, The Prisoner was the first of that. So it was eyes wide shut before eyes wide shut. It was The Wicker Man before The Wicker Man. Mm. It was everything before everything. <laughs> yeah. it, it really did pave that was lost before lost. It was Babylon 5 before Babylon 5. Yeah. It, was, it was everything before everything. Mm. It was, uh, I'm going to uh, again paraphrase my friend Roger Goodman, who did so much early research into the series. It threw down a gauntlet of follow that, and nobody has ever followed it. Brilliant. Brilliant. 
we're going to uh, wind down and, and go to your sites and stuff, but uh, I want to make one point and then I have uh, one open question. Okay. Uh, one point I want to make. This is a trick kind of question to you. Uh, there is actually a final ending to The Prisoner, uh, an episode 18. I have not yet. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to familiar myself with it. I haven't done it yet. Have you? Are you referring to the uh, graphic novel? Exactly. I, I knew I couldn't trick you. So <laughs> there was like Patrick approved his gr graphic novel. I haven't uh, read it yet, but... Uh, ah, well, there's the, you've said some controversy there. Okay. We, the, in the graphic novel, it said he approved it. Yeah. But then when it came to when they reprinted it three years ago, they wanted Patrick's daughter, Catherine, to write a foreword to the reprint. She turned around and said, I'm not doing it because my dad never approved of this. Oh, wow. So they say it, they, they said it was approved. His daughter says it wasn't. And I, I, I have to favor his daughter yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and say that her, but, but yes, anyway, that's by the by. Um, yes, there was a, it's called Shattered Visage. It was also uh, released as a four part thing, uh, A, B, C, and D. Um, I like the artwork. I don't like it. That's all I'm going to put it out there and say. You don't like the story? No, I don't. I don't think it works. Are they, are they trivializing it? Are they trying to make it into a normal 3D experience? Yeah, again, they're trying to... Yes, they are. It's both of those things. They're trying to... Again, they're trying to be enigmatic without having the genius there to be enigmatic in the first place. Yes, they can write and they can draw. The Prisoner is perfect as it is. It is a cycle, as we said earlier, it's a cyclical series. When you finish episode 17, start again with episode one. Yeah, yeah. You can't then tag an episode 18 onto the end. It just doesn't work. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm confused because this horrible remake where they used, uh, what's his name, Gandalf, um, Sir... Ian McKellen was number two yeah. and uh, Jim Caviezel who is a good actor in other things. There's a, I think there's a series called Person of Interest where he's fairly prisoner-esque and it's quite good. No, it, it, it doesn't work. Um, Ian McCallum's a very good actor, but it, it, it's, you said it earlier on, but it, it, it just doesn't work with what they're trying to do with it. They, they did it as a, oh, it's all a dream. But I, I, heard, I heard it was approved. I heard uh, Patrick was consultant for that series. I was, no, I was shocked. absolutely not true. He wanted nothing to do with it. Ooh. They offered him a part and he refused. That's why in the first episode of the remake, you see an old character wearing a black blazer with a long white beard. They originally wrote that so that McGowan would play the part. McGowan refused and said he wanted nothing to do with it. And he didn't. He didn't have anything to do with the remake. He'd already written a remake of his own. There is a film script that Patrick McGowan wrote well, for a remake of his own. Uh, in why aren't anyone using that, Dan? That's crazy. Well, there, 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 but there's, there's two reasons. One, even though it was written by McGowan, it's not as good as his original series. I think he knew that. Okay. Um, and two, the family have said, we don't really want it to, to go out there because we feel that the prisoner has already been made. You can't remake something like that. Mm. You can't remake 2001. No. You can't remake no. Citizen Kane. True. You can't remake the prisoner. Mm. It's as simple as that. Yeah, okay. Uh, when yeah. you do, it's, it's always going to be compared. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. there have been audio versions. Big Finish did an audio reimagining. And that was really nice because they didn't remake it. They just did their own kind of reimagining of it with 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 with, with, with a different actor and whatever. Mm. But it still wasn't as good. Mm. You can't remake perfection. Um, good point. You just can't. You can't rebuild Canada. 
<laughs> because it's a beautiful country. You know, you can't remake. Say, no one's ever tried to remake Citizen Kane because you know it won't be as good. Yeah. The, the, the fact that they tried to remake The Prisoner, you know, appalls me. And they did it purely for money. Yeah. Let's try and make some money. We'll call it The Prisoner. If they'd have not called it The Prisoner and just called it Man in a Village, yeah. it actually wouldn't have been that bad a series. Mm. It had some interesting ideas in it. Mm. They're gonna, if you're going to call it the prisoner, it's got to be good, and it's never going to be as good as the original. No. And that goes whether whatever the format is. So this graphic novel, yes, it's beautifully drawn, and and the writing makes sense, and and the, and the caricatures of some of the characters look really nice, and they can draw Port Marion really nice. Mm. It's, it's never going to be as good as the original. Mm. Don't mm. do it. Does it? But but I heard that he was that there was some new information in there to kind of fill in some gaps in the original series um i mean that, well yes you could say that i could do that though i could write a short story tomorrow saying um saying oh number six was actually a woman and um he was actually resigning from a company that manufactured records because he didn't want to work there anymore and the people that ran the village were his bosses at the record shop oh that doesn't mean it's true just because someone's written it and put it in a book and that's all these artists have done they've, they've made something up they've stuck it in a graphic novel Okay, so there's someone else who who wrote it. It's not even his uh, manuscript. Oh God, no! Uh, no, no, no! Okay, this is no. It's uh, the, the, whoever the artists are. I think one is it's Dean Motter and Mark Asquith, who are both incredibly talented people, and I advise anyone to look at their other work. But one of them wrote it, and the other one drew it. I can't remember which way round it was. It, it had no the graphic novel. None of the remakes had any input from Patrick McGowan mm. whatsoever. But if anyone has withdrawal after having seen all seventeen episodes, <laughs> just know that there is uh, an attempt to make an episode eighteen out there. Yeah, and there are there are lots of uh, novels as well. Um, there's five or six novels based on the series, which are written as sort of in between episodes. Oh. That you can you you can uh, go out there. Some of the, some of them are official. Some of them are unofficial. Oh. There were three that were published. In 1968, uh, which have which have been reprinted many times, which people can can find out, and there were some more which came in the 2000s as well. One called the Griffith Diary. Are, are they prequels or sequels? Uh, they they are in between episodes, so they're meant to be slotted in between, oh, you know, okay. an episode not as episode nine or episode ten right, or something. Right, so they, right, right. they take place within the confines of the original series. Yeah, okay. Um, um, they, they are of varying quality. None of them are as good as the original. Some of them are, are enjoyable in their own right. So yes, there's lots out there. If people are enjoying the series and think I want to enter more worlds of the prisoner, there are audio dramas, there are graphic novels. There was a new graphic novel that came out three years ago called The Uncertainty Machine, which is about a different character, but it's based on the prisoner. Um, there are other things out there. Jack Kirby, a very famous comic artist, did his version of the prisoner. That's been reprinted in hardback form. So there are other ways of enjoying the prisoner out there. I, I do advise all viewers to go and all listeners rather to go and check them out because only by reading it yourself can you get an opinion yeah but if there's anything uh, like people dress me up as an expert but you know i'm just an opinion at the end of the day someone else might read that graphic novel and go that was brilliant you know it takes 20 years to become an expert in in something so you're certainly an expert <laughs> by now hey i'll pass that by well there you go then <laughs> exactly i'm an expert in talking rubbish if nothing else but if they are anything like me they will not be interested in someone else's interpretation so i'm wondering if Patrick ever wrote something, uh, because you did mention there was a f manuscript out there, is that available? Can we read that? Or is there anything it's else? It's not available. It's not available, sadly. The, the family don't want it in the public domain, so it's been removed from um, sort of the internet. 
it may well lurk in dark spaces for people to for, for people to find but i'm not gonna i'm gonna respect the family and not encourage people to uh, to do that and I, yeah I, it's not as good i can see what he was trying to do he was trying to make a a version of the series that would work as a film mm. slightly mm. modernized for the 80s mm. but it doesn't really work as far as i'm concerned um it's not as good as the original um uh, if people want to catch some work by patrick I'll tell you a couple of things that are interesting. He, he only ever directed one film. It was called Catch My Soul. It was a rock opera version of the Shakespeare play Othello. <laughs> okay. And it was thought lost forever. And then they, uh, uh, they, they found it, you know, about 10 years ago. Um, and that's a really interesting film. Check out some episodes of Columbo. You remember Columbo? The, the series yeah. is, uh, he's in a few episodes of that where he is absolutely brilliant. He won Emmy Awards for his performances in Colombo, one of which is very prisoner-esque. He says, be seeing you about four times. Wow. There's wow. lots of sort of prisoner moments in it. So check that out. Yeah. I would advise people check out the career of Patrick McGowan. Some of his early films are great, especially the TV plays that he was in. Really powerful stuff. Um, in terms of his, what he, you know, he did want to do other things. He was always looking to make further things about the prisoner, but, the problem is, is the world had changed in the 60s. He made this series based on a handshake from his old pal. Mm. When, when it came to the 80s, he couldn't do that. The networks all wanted, all wanted committees to look at things. Mm. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't play that no, game. No. And so sadly, his other ideas are, are probably you know, lost forever now because obviously he passed away, as people may know, a few years ago. When did he pass away? Uh, 2009. Um, he was in his early eighties. Uh, very, very, very sad. Eighty-one, it was. So then it's uh, so. So this is it. Then we just have to live with these seventeen episodes. This is it. Yeah, but that's that's all you need mm. because you can watch it. I've I've watched it so many times, and not only to enjoy it, but I've had to research things when I've been yeah. uh, proofreading books and so on. I, I watch the series through again, and every time I watch it, I see and learn yeah. something yeah. new mm. that I didn't see and learn the last time i watched it or i've ever watched it before you know i first saw it when i was 10 i'm now 47 mm. um barely a year or two goes by when i don't watch at least half of the episodes for one reason or another mm. so i've probably watched the series 40 50 times maybe even so more. what what is your favorite episode my favorite episode is checkmate mm. i don't think the it's not because it's particularly important to the series um, you know, the last episode and the first episode are the most important ones. Yeah. I like yeah. Checkmate because it sums up the whole series in 50 minutes. It's got Port Merion. It's got good actors. It's got Patrick McGowan. It's beautifully lit and beautifully shot. The whole episode is an allegory. It has a hidden meaning of where all pawns on a chessboard. It's got some great dialogue. It's got some great direction. It's just a great example of what the series is. It's not as important as episode one or episode 16 or episode 17. Mm. If Checkmate didn't exist, the series would still be just as good. But as, as 50 minutes, it totally encapsulates the whole series in, in 50 minutes. How about you? My uh, original favorite episode uh, was, uh, I, I was getting so, what you call it when you, uh, when you're confined to a small space, claustrophobic. I was getting so claustrophobic mm -hmm. that when one particular episode came where he actually managed to flee mm. and and uh, entered London and everything, I was feeling so relieved. I was thinking, oh, finally, now, mm. now I can breathe. Oh, look at beautiful London. So that was originally my favorite episode. Which one? Uh, what's the title of that? Many Happy Returns. 
Yeah, could be that. It could also be chimes of Big Ben, but um, without going into details, because he manages to escape there too, or yeah. at least so it seems. So, yeah, it's it's when you get the breakthrough because you you get this annoyance and this anger against the system, you know, again and again mm. and again mm. and again. And I, I'm just commending him for trying, for not giving up. Mm. Don't give up. Never get, don't let them break you, man. Don't let them break you. <laughs> and and when he finally gets some his change of scenery, or, although it's so beautiful that place, it's yeah, uh, yeah that was like a, a kind of I remember that was like. But a, again, that was deliberate. That was deliberate. He yeah. wanted it to feel confining and unsettling. Yeah. Um, and and and, that, and he achieved that because you're right. By the time he he gets out in in, in many average terms, there is a big relief because you've been watching nine or ten weeks of of incarceration, <laughs> and suddenly there is a, there is that feeling of air because he he, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't only go to London. Of course, he's in that raft in the sea, yeah. and then he's on the south yeah. coast, uh, you know, with the, with the lighthouse yeah. and everything. And it is kind of a, a beautiful freedom. What's interesting is the first time I saw that episode, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I first saw the series, that episode was shown second. Oh, wow. So I didn't have time to get unsettled right. and time to get claustrophobic because they showed that as the second episode, which seems crazy now. But yeah, too when you're 10 years old and you're really into the series, yeah. it, it doesn't make so much of a difference. No, that's... There isn't a weak episode. I enjoy. I genuinely enjoy every episode. Yeah. Some are better than others. That is true. Yeah. Some of the writing is better. Some of the scenery is better, et cetera, et cetera. But I genuinely enjoy every episode. And you can't say that about many series. I mean, I love the original Star Trek series. But there's eight or ten episodes which are terrible. Yeah. Um, but I, I genuinely love every episode of The Prisoner. I think it I think it builds, no matter which episode order you watch, it builds brilliantly to that crescendo. Those last two episodes, absolutely amazing. Yeah, uh, but uh, th- this is the thing. I've changed favourites all the time. At one point, yeah, I, liked, I liked The General because they're introducing artificial intelligence before its time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Today, I would say I probably enjoy the one where they introduce LSD and, and mind-bending uh, psychoactive drugs. So, <laughs> it, it, But it changes all the time. I'm going to give it a new watch because you said they have a refurbished version out there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably going to get a new favorite then. Yeah, I would recommend buying the uh, the 50th anniversary Blu-ray. Um, I say that because I worked on it. Oh, wow. <laughs> but also because... They, the, the, the way they've, they've treated the film print is absolutely beautiful. But also, one thing I did for that, you have an optional extra. That if you want to learn more about the making of the series, you can switch on some text commentaries. And every eight seconds, you'll get a different fact on screen about what's happening on the screen. And that's across all the 17 episodes. So I don't know what the maths works out as. Every eight seconds across 17 episodes, you get a different on-screen fact to tell you a bit more about what's going on, what it means who the people are on the screen, nice. how the production was made. You get that with it as well, but it's it's an absolutely beautiful presentation done by Network. And they went back to the original film prints, cleaned it all up, and it is like watching something as good as new. It's stunning to the point where you can see everybody's freckles on their faces. Yeah. You know? did, did Patrick ever offer a commentary? He didn't. He, he, he did very few interviews. Um, he did very few, even fewer in-depth interviews I think he only did four interviews of 45 minutes or greater specifically about The Prisoner. The last of those was in 1991, so long before DVDs came around. Mm. When he was asked in 2007 for the 40th anniversary if he wanted to contribute some commentaries, and he, he basically said, everything that you need to know is contained in those 17 episodes. <laughs> if I need to explain it to you, then I failed, so I'm not going to. Typical Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, I recommend anyone out there get the uh, the 50th anniversary Blu-ray from Network because it's a, an absolutely stunning presentation. But people that are seeing it for the first time and don't want to spend money, uh, then it is available on Amazon Prime and uh, Shout TV and other other platforms online where you can, you know, if you have a subscription service, you can watch the episodes that way. Use my friend Al's order. I recommend that. Or, or yours. Yeah, yeah, one of them. Please don't go for the official order. You're going to ruin uh, some percent of the experience. Finally, before we, I ask about your site, uh, what would you say is the weirdest factoid concerning the prisoner? Oh, wow. That's a question. Um, or uh, at least a weird one. Uh, 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 oh, well, you put me on the spot there. Yeah. Uh, um, the weirdest fact about the prisoner. Yeah, because you, you appear to be like an encyclopedia of the okay. prisoner. So. In, the, in the final episode, um, there is a point at which Patrick McGowan is asked to address the people in charge that you mentioned earlier with the masks. Mm. He starts to make a, what looks like a really profound speech. And everybody shouts over him, and you can't hear what he's saying. We have actually lip-read and interpreted what he says. And what he says is, is despite the devaluation of the pound, nevertheless. And the week before, the pound had been devalued against the dollar. So he was just thinking, what can I say? I don't have anything in the script. I'll just say something that I know. So started rattling on about the devaluation of the pound, nevertheless. Everyone that's, thinks it's a big, profound speech, yeah. but it's gibberish. So hopefully, I don't think that's the weirdest fact, but hopefully an interesting one for people who are going to watch this. No, that is weird enough. <laughs> uh, what, what, if, what, what if it's a metaphor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, well, I mean, he put hidden things in the series. If that's a metaphor, then wow, he really yeah. is beyond a genius uh, if he put that in there probably. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Rick, let's move on to your sites. You, you're running two sites, aren't you? Yeah, well, actually, three altogether. So I run a site called The Unmutual website, which is uh, uh, basically a, yeah, a news and information site about the series where people can keep up to date with with, with books that have been written, with, with uh, times when the actors appear on television or in new films and so on. So it's an information resource. There's articles, interviews with the cast and crew, um, you know, reviews of books that have been written, graphic novels and so forth, information about the series. That's at theunmutual.co.uk. I've been running that now for... Um, coming up for 20 years um it's got i don't know how many pages the website has now i've genuinely lost count but it's several thousands of, of pages of information about the, the, the series mm. um and, and up-to-date news which is updated every week there's also a twitter instagram and facebook page for the website just search for the word unmutual um i also um uh, run the prisonershop.co.uk which is like an online store for prisoner merchandise um where we stock the the, the, the blu-rays and, and t-shirts and, and books and and things about the series lots of books out there about the series oh so we can get those refurbished versions there yes you can and it's in aid of charity as well so be pleased to hear that i'm not putting all the money into my pocket it's for oh, wow. um, terminally, uh, terminally ill children so uh, oh, uh, that's so, so nice to, so, so going to a good cause but also um i run a, 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 a sort of not-for-profit publishing company called quite media limited and we um publish um books related to the prisoner um not all of them obviously people publish their books with who they want but um, some of the people that worked on the series, like Eric Myerville and Etta Andre and others, have, have, have published their memories of working on the series. So we, we publish those as well. So, yes, there's a bit of online um, uh, input there. So you can find me on any of those uh, 
um, social media platforms or websites. If anybody wants to get in touch, they're very welcome. Um, I always love to hear from people who are seeing the series, not only for the first time, but have, have watched it several times. So I never tire of people getting in touch. So I hope that some of your listeners will have been inspired by our conversation today. We'll go out and seek the series and then contact me with any questions that they have. I'll happily answer them as yeah. best I can. But as you said yourself, there's lots of questions, not as many answers. <laughs> or, or as Patrick probably would want to have it, we have to find the answers ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, here's links like uh, you have a fact, you have fan fiction, events, collectibles, articles and essays, photo and art, reviews. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. But we have to go through the, you, you went a bit quick there. Uh, it's the unmutual. Yes. Dot C. O.uk. That's number one. Correct. And the other one was? Uh, Theprisonershop.co.uk. Mm -hmm. And then Coit Media. That's Q-U-O-I-T media.co.uk. A coit is an ancient burial chamber from Neolithic times. Oh, wow. If people are wondering what the word coit means, if people are into their kind of a, a spiritual, ancient kind of Neolithic vibe, that's where we get the name. Oh, and, 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 and. We are here. Here at the forum, we are. Oh, great! Well, there we go. We could do a whole podcast on ancient Neolithic burial chambers. I can assure you. Exactly. And um, by the way, uh, I saw here that you have um, also the original Danger Man series. If for, if people want to like savour, like really make this into a, because. I suppose if they've never seen it before, they don't. They think, oh, 17 episodes is plenty. No, believe you me, you're going to binge it and you're going to regret. <laughs> so could people could people start with maybe the last season, the, the colored season of Danger Man, and uh, then go it, on? They could do. I don't think it would it would either detract or add. I'd, I'd never heard of Danger Man when I first saw The Prisoner. Okay. I'm going to guess that you hadn't either. No. And that your first experience of of, of, of this thing was The Prisoner. Um, I don't think it's... actually I'd heard of it, but I've never seen it. So yeah. okay, I'd never even heard of it. Yeah. So you mm. you very much had the advantage of mm. me there. I'd never even heard of it. Um, I don't think people need to do that. I would start with the prisoner. I would then go to Danger Man, and there are some episodes of Danger Man which are prisoner esque. And as you say, although it might not have been a follow on, there certainly are inspirations within Danger Man that the prisoner will have taken from. There is an episode called Colony Three where John Drake Danger Man is is taken and imprisoned in a in a, in a in a in a village for spies oh wow so if that wow. if that's not prisoner-esque i don't know what yeah. is. um <laughs> uh, so th i would start now no, i would i would go with the prisoner first and then watch some episodes of danger man and see if you enjoy and see if you can link the two together i wouldn't necessarily start with danger man because i think that would slightly limit you i think that would limit your thinking i think you would then watch the prisoner thinking it was the same character I, mean, I think you should start the prisoner with a clean slate mm. okay fair enough but uh, you know the viewers back in the day started with uh, uh, danger did, yeah i'm yeah. going totally against how everyone would have originally seen the series <laughs> um, but uh, hey that, that you know the way i saw it was the prisoner no but that that's consistent because the the way they uh, released it is horrible and even when they aired it originally on tv i read something about it was like a weird practical regard that made them air it in that sequence it wasn't even a canon the way they That's did right. it no it's it, exactly they they had to have it so that the first episode came first the second episode has to be a strong one then a third episode has to be a good one and then you put in what supposedly are the weaker episodes oh, and God. you break up episodes oh, of the same type so as i say yeah. the ones that feature a lot of port marion were split up mm. throughout the run 
so it's just yes it made no canonical sense at all um mm. it was just pardon me for reasons of um for reasons of of making pardon me spreading the the, the thing out um uh, to some extent mm. right? horrible bad reason yeah anyway you know this was uh this was so fun it was i'm gonna you're gonna put me in touch with what was her name yeah uh, fiona moore who's professor moore she wrote a book called fallout the unauthorized uh companion guide to the prisoner um and it's an excellent look at the all the allegory mm. she goes through every episode and says what underpins that what does it all mean and she's a superb superb orator and i shall put you in touch with her to see if she would like to take part i'm sure she would Sounds very good. Perfect, and I, I would be ever so glad to do so. Great, but I suppose those—I suppose people should have watched it before they listen to my talk with her. Then that's probably a good idea because I'm not sure you can talk about that side of things without there being spoilers. I think you and I have done yeah. very well to avoid spoilers, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. That might be difficult if you're talking about what each of the episode means. Mm. Um, I think. So that will be a hardcore insider thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, folks, you have a couple of months before that will happen. So go and and we I, only I, need seventeen hours, folks. Just do it. Yeah, and I I I so envy them. <laughs> I so wish I could have like a virgin experience of it. Yeah, today. I'd love to do that, especially with the right order of episodes, because the order I watched yeah. it was even more crazy than the original order. <laughs> yeah, I, I in fact I think I watched it on VHS originally. Ah. Oh. Yes, yeah. I watched. I did watch. At least I watched it on TV. I had the experience of having to wait a week till the next episode, <laughs> um, which is which is hell when you're ten years old. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, when I first saw it. Um, but yeah, I really do recommend everybody watches it. Yeah. Okay, and there we have it. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. You Al. think it went well? Well, I do, but I'm not the expert. Do you think that was all right? <laughs> You're the expert on the prisoner, though. Oh, I don't know about that. Did you enjoy that? I did. I, I did. I did. I, I'm just worried that people who hasn't listened to it, I, I was always w mindful of trying to get people who hasn't listened to it to, to you know, give them a hook every now and then. Yeah. You, it can become too much, as they say in America, too much inside baseball. Yeah, and I hope I, I, I did. I did try my best, but it's so difficult yeah, when you're speaking to someone who you know has seen the series. Yeah. It's difficult not to refer to things that, 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 that are already familiar but hopefully with your interjections and with me i tried to talk generally about yeah you did series ethos rather than individual yeah. production story you know so i hope that between the two of us we we did that and um no i really did enjoy it alan i hope it was what you were looking for if not then phone me again next week and we shall uh, we shall do it again and you can tell me what i did wrong <laughs> episode two no uh it's absolutely a good uh, uh because we're going to make uh, like i said two two episodes so this will be the one okay. before uh, now we send them to watch it mm -hmm. and after they watch it i'm going to discuss the, the more spiritual layers with uh fiona is that her name yep that's it yep yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot, Rick, for coming on. You're a jolly good sport. Oh, thank you, mate. It re really, really genuinely, really enjoyed it. And I, I hope that even if it's not something that you want to record for a podcast, I hope that we can talk again soon. Yeah, sure. Enjoy that. Let's do that. So do keep in touch. Uh, and I'll contact you anyway when, when it's out so you can have a listen. Yeah. And I really like the way you do things. I'm going to listen to some more episodes and I genuinely mean that. <laughs> if you find a subject matter you enjoy, I'm not sure you do. I'm but... sure I will. It sounds like we have a lot in common. So. <laughs> okay. Hope from your mouth to Patrick's ears. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Al, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for coming on. Thanks so much, Al. Yep. Be seeing you. Tally ho. <laughs> so far today 
Now, for once, I won't pontificate at the end note, but let Patrick McGuhan have the last word. Let me just remind you first to hurry up and subscribe to us at any podcast platform you prefer before our show is being taken down from YouTube, which is the way the increasing censorship of the internet is going, as you ought to know by now. One day we will disappear, and you will hardly notice it, so better you sub today so you're prepared. If you prefer a video platform to podcast, look us up at Odyssey, which so far is the only other official platform we're on. But we will expand to more video platforms when we have the time and resources to do such a time-consuming process. Also, beware that I will post the optimal sequence of how to watch this series in the show notes. If you are virgin to this and want to embark upon it, look, what we said in the show is true. It's screwed up the sequence. It's not even approved by the creator. It doesn't make any sense. And it's so surreal in itself, this series, that you better, better you have some straws to grasp for some kind of logical, rational, linear outline of this interesting um, story. So, look under the video. Yeah, I will post it there, and for you guys who have seen it, maybe you're inspired to revisit it. I mean, Rick has seen it, what, 50 times? I've probably seen it, well, up to maybe at least five times, so you can handle another happy return. Anyway, let's now hear some very interesting reflections from uh, FAQ session that was done on television in 77, right before the 80s when the neoliberal rot tightened its grip and started to destroy society and civilization from within. And here they complain about the lack of freedom while sitting in a TV studio, smoking and having a long-form, thoughtful, slow and ad-free conversation. It's fascinating to notice the contrast with today and seeing how far the mainstream media has fallen into the depths of dumbed-down propaganda. So anyway, check it out. How did you feel about the response to The Prisoner when it was first shown in Britain? Delighted. Uh, I wanted to have uh, controversy, argument, fights, discussions, people in anger, waving fists in my face, saying, how dare you? Why don't you do more secret agents that we can understand? Uh, I was delighted with that reaction. I think it's a very good one. That was the intention of the exercise. Did you get any special kind of response from politicians, from bureaucrats, people in the kinds of corporations we all know and hate? Not, a, not enough. Uh, I, I suppose they steered clear of it. But then, of course, they'd be the very ones who wouldn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Mr. McGowan, uh, my question deals with uh, religion. Yeah. I understand in reading a little bit about you that you are a very religious man. And uh, my question pertains to fallout. I have interpreted a lot of the acts as being having this content. I'm thinking specifically of uh, the crucifixion of the two rebels when their arms are drawn apart, the temptation of number six by the president of the village, mm-hmm. uh, the temptation of Christ. Yeah, to dry, the throne. Yeah. Right, dry bones, yeah, right out of Ezekiel. Yeah. All of that, uh, first of all, would you agree with the, my idea that that is intentional, that it is... Um, Answering, uh, no, I had never any religious inspiration for that whatsoever. I was just trying to make it uh, dramatically feasible. Certainly the, the temptation with the guy putting me up on the throne and all this stuff, that's, you know, 
uh, it's Lucifer time. Um, but I never thought of it at that moment, but maybe somewhere at the back of my mind it was there. And the hip bones connected to the thigh bone thing. Uh, I just thought it was a very good song for the situation, you know, and also it was applicable to the, uh, to the young man. Because, as you know, it's easy for us to go astray in youth, and he was astray, and he's trying to get everything together again. When I speak of religion, I mean uh, a moral attitude towards I, life. I would think that's uh, necessary, yeah. Okay, then. Uh, is it fair to say that number six draws upon that? Is that the source of his defense? Is that how he gets up in the morning and faces another day in the village? I think that's a very good comment, and I think that uh, it, it's probably true, yeah. I mean, the moral force, uh, which says I have a, a, a spirit of my own, a mind of my own, a soul of my own, and it's not all my own because it's joined with a greater force beyond me. I don't think he got up every morning and analyzed it to that extent, but I think that that force is within him. And anyone who is able to fight in that uh, individual way, I think, has it. Would you say that there is a distinct lack in the rest of the villagers, are they soulless beings? Uh, the, the majority of them have been sort of brainwashed. The souls of them brainwashed out of them. Yeah. Watching too many commercials, I think, is what, <laughs> what happened to them. Yeah. I used to think that television commercials were, were spiritually healthy because they made us skeptical, and that that was probably a very good thing to learn very early on. Well, they don't make enough people skeptical because if they made enough people skeptical, uh, the people who were made skeptical wouldn't be buying all the junk that they're advertising and then they'd be out of business. What about the philosophy, the rationale of the village? What did you tell them about that? It's raison d'etre, not its mechanics, but it's, it's that place that is trying to destroy the individual by every means possible, trying to break his spirit so that he, he accepts that he's number six and will live there happily as number six forever after. And uh, this is the one rebel that they can't break. To what end was that process of breaking down the individual will? To what end? Mm -hmm. For the village. What was the purpose, the goal? I think it's going on every day all around us. I had to sign in to get into this joint. Mm -hmm. Downstairs, too. yeah. Made you angry, too? Slightly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. uh, pass keys, you know, and let's go down to the basement and all this. That's prisonership as far as I'm concerned. And that makes me mad. And that makes me rebel. And that's what the prisoner was doing, was rebelling against that type of thing. But can you, in everyday life, can you can you summon the will and the energy to rebel every time that oh, you petty can't. indignity occurs? You can't, otherwise you go crazy. You have to live with it. That's what makes us prisoners. Uh... You can't rebel, otherwise you have to totally rebel, or you have to go and live on your own on a desert, on a desert island. How as much simple as that? Mr. McGowan, when, uh, when you began The Prisoner, you, you began it in a decade in which uh, I think a lot of people were used to secret agents. It was the decade of the Ipcrest file and so on. And uh, you very neatly saw the next decade coming. I think you saw Watergate, the enemy within, as opposed to the enemy without. Um, I don't know if you can answer this, but if you were going to do the series again today and you had to look ahead to the 80s and you were thinking in terms of what you're going, you see as as being the real enemy, not, not the storybook enemy, but the enemy that's really going to hassle us. If you were to look into the 80s now, uh, what would you look to? I think progress is uh, the biggest enemy 
on earth apart from oneself. And that goes with oneself, a, a two-handed pair. With oneself and with progress, uh, I think we're going to take good care of this planet shortly. They're making bigger and better bombs, faster planes, and all this stuff one day, I hate to say it, there's never been a weapon created yet on the face of the earth that hasn't been used. And that thing's going to be used. Unless, I don't know how we're going to stop it now. It's too late, I think. Do you think maybe there's going to be a, a strong popular reaction against, quote, progress in the future? No. Because uh, we're run by the Pentagon. We're run by Madison Avenue. We're run by television. Uh, and as long as we accept those things and don't revolt, uh, we'd have to go along with the stream to the eventual, eventual avalanche. Mr. McGowan, uh, we, we tend to view uh, the threat, the village sort of thing, as something external a lot, like Madison Avenue, the media. How much do you feel is, um, like, how responsible are we for accepting this? Like, wh where do we become involved in, in being unfree sort of thing? Buying the products to excess. Uh, I don't, as long as, as long as uh, we go out and, you know, buy stuff, we're at their mercy, we're at the mercy of the advertisers, and of course there are certain things that we need, but uh, a lot of the stuff that is bought is not needed. Okay, do you regard the village as an external thing or something that we carry around with us all the time? It was meant to be both. The external was the symbol, but it's, it's, the two, it's within us all, I think, don't you? The, the surrealistic aspect of it. They all live in a little village. Okay. Now, your village may be different from other people's villages that we've all got. Well, or that, uh, I know who the idiot is in mine, which is <laughs> number, number one. Same That's as, right. Same as That's me. Right. This is a kind of banal question, I guess. But if you could leave one sentence or phrase or paragraph in the head of everyone who watched the Prisoner series, the whole series, one thing for them to carry around for a while when it was over, what would it be? Be seeing you. Just that. Enigmatic to the end. Be seeing. And it means quite a lot. It does indeed. Be seeing. That's it. Thanks for checking in and for your support. I've been your host, Al B. Until next time, stay strong, stay firm, stay free. Number one. <laughs> you are number six. <laughs>